starting in verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the saviour. Now, as the church submits to Christ, also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. Who who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. But I'm talking about Christ and the church. However... Each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself and the wife must respect her husband. Uh, Keep your Bibles handy. I know it's a familiar passage for many of you but it's good for us to be able to work through these verses together. Uh, If you'd like to follow along there are also outlines. Hopefully you got one at the door. If you missed out there still should be some in the foyer. You can go and grab one of those if you like. Before we look at these verses anymore, let me just lead you in a time of prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, your word uh, speaks to us in every part of our life. Uh, It guides us, it teaches us and it shapes us. Father, we pray that uh, these things might happen amongst us today. Lord, as we come to this passage which challenges us, uh, a difficult passage which speaks to each of us so personally, We pray that you would give us grace to hear your word, to sit under it, to hear in it your voice speaking to us, blessing us and guiding us and shaping us. Father, may your word fill us. May it be good to us this morning. In Jesus we pray. Amen. Uh, It might be a little bit nerdy to confess this, but I have to admit um, I am a bit of a fan of classical music. Uh, I quite enjoy listening to it. I don't get to do it very often, but I, I do enjoy it when I get the chance. Uh, I prefer the, the bigger orchestral stuff, the grand sound. Uh, I also will confess, if you try to talk to me about it afterwards, I know nothing about classical music. So that conversation will go nowhere, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, but I do enjoy it. Uh, when I was young, my Omi used to take me to the Princess Theatre in Launceston. We used to go and listen to the TSO. She had a membership there. Uh, I enjoyed it. It was great. Uh, I especially enjoyed that at half-time, or technically intermission, uh, we got to go and buy a treat, which was great. Uh, We also used to go to Symphony Under the Stars in in the park in Launceston. It was excellent, uh, great music, beautiful place, very enjoyable. But orchestras have always amazed me. You know, you've got dozens of instruments, uh, so many people, and probably egos as well, knowing musicians, no offence, music team, uh, (laughs) and the the sound that they create together is so grand Uh, it's so full and rich you know all these instruments playing in harmony united with one another but see for that to work well each of them has to be in time each of them has to be playing in tune hopefully from the same music I would take that as a given because as soon as one is off 
the whole lot suffers. Now true, the music will continue, the song will keep playing, but it won't be as full. Uh, It won't be as rich or as harmonious as it could be. So even though an orchestra is big and made up of dozens of instruments, each instrument matters. That's why Paul turns to the topic of marriage here in the book of Ephesians, because each marriage matters. The church uh, is made up of people, clearly, uh, but it's made up of units, of households. And for our church to work well, for our church to play well together, each of those units has to be working well. Each household is important, therefore each marriage matters. Uh, One writer said this, he said, the church as a whole can function well as a unified society of believers only if each household is functioning well. Now we say this not to give us all a guilt trip, (laughs) but as an encouragement, because working on our marriage matters. It works for ourselves, it it matters for ourselves, but it matters for our church as well, for the sake of each other, for us as a group. Now, how does a marriage work well? Well, the theme of this passage is essentially the theme of this book. It's all about Jesus. And we've seen that over, over the past weeks, haven't we? God's plan is about Jesus. Salvation is about Jesus. The church is about Jesus. Our life, our future is all about Jesus. And so too we'll see this morning. Marriage is all about Jesus. Throughout the the first half of this book, Paul's been showing us again and again that Jesus is at the centre of God's plan. It all revolves around him. But as a result then, so too is the church because Jesus is the head, the the church is his body. God's plan is to, to draw all things together in Jesus, bring them all under him and in him to break down all barriers that stood between us and to create a unity and a oneness amongst us. Now, having learnt that, it might be logical to then go and say, well, if that's the case, maybe then all social structures are destroyed as well. I mean, if all barriers are torn down, maybe too, social structures are removed. Well, Paul tells us very clearly that's not the case here. The family uh, as its social structure is not somehow done away with in Christ. Instead, what actually happens is that structure is improved. It's actually freed to operate better, to do so beautifully. So what Paul is telling us here is that living well in our families is a key part of living well for Jesus. We talk about husbands and wives uh, today. We're going to talk about kids and about work next week. But see, all of this comes under this banner that we kind of touched on but didn't really get into last week. This, this wise, uh, spirit-filled living. And one of the key aspects of that is what Jeff touched on, mutual submission. Look with me at, verses, at verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. See, before we get to, to wives and husbands and marriages, we need to see this that submitting is actually the norm of the church. Now, of course, there's exceptions, there's times where we need to submit to particular people, for example, the leadership, but submitting to one another ought to be the default setting of our church. Church is is not about getting your own way, it's not about making sure your own needs are met, 
Church is about other people first. Uh, Putting yourself under so that other people can be served and looked after. Why? Well, it's there at the end of that verse, isn't it? For the sake of Jesus. Out of reverence for him. We are to submit to one another, to seek each other's needs, to serve and be selfless because we love Jesus and because we want to serve his body, the church. But see, within that mutual submission, still those social structures stand and are important. So look with me at verse 22. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Paul actually breaks uh, the cultural norm of his day by by starting his passage this way. So typically in an address like this or in a letter or a a body of writing, wives didn't get addressed. It wasn't written to the wife, they would never be addressed directly. Everything went to the head of the household, the father or the husband and it was for him, his responsibility to work it all out. So by addressing wives here, Paul is actually giving them great respect and honour Uh, He's saying, you guys matter. You're really important. And so we're going to start there. And his instruction is clear. It's straightforward. Submit. Voluntarily subordinate yourself. That is, put yourself under. Voluntarily subordinate yourself to your husband. Emphasis on voluntarily. He doesn't say, wives, make your husband submit. Uh, uh, sorry, other way around. doesn't say husbands, make your wives submit, force them to submit. No, he's addressing the wives saying this is how you play out your service of Jesus. Submit yourself. Put yourself under. Submit, he says, as to the Lord. Uh, that means not submit to your husband as if he was Jesus. Uh, he's not. You're well aware of that, I'm sure. He can't be Jesus. He shouldn't be Jesus. Now, instead what Paul's saying there is submit to your husband because that is part of your service, part of your obedience to Jesus. Because you respect Jesus, because you love Jesus, submit to your husband. Why? Verse 23. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the saviour. The husband is the head of the marriage as Jesus is the head of the church. Now Jesus is the head, he is also the saviour of the church. The husband is not the saviour of your marriage. He is just the head of it. And yet you are still to submit to him. And what does that look like? Well, verse 24 lays it out. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Submission in marriage looks like the church submitting to Jesus, uh, which, as we would, uh, I'm sure, agree, it's not something we'd call undesirable, not something we'd call onerous. I mean, uh, the submission of the church is a good thing, isn't it? The church sits under Jesus as the head of the church and so receives from him guidance, leading, providing, ruling. Uh, The church seeks to please him, seeks to live like him, obey him, respond to him and receive from him. See, the the church's submission is all for the church's good. And the implication is here then that so too is submission good for marriage. It is good for that relationship. 
We, we, we often get nervous about this and want to limit it. But Paul actually takes it to an extreme extent, doesn't he? He says that submission is not in just one part of life. It's not only submission when there's big decisions to be made, uh, when there's money on the table, when it's parenting. Paul says submission is in everything. Every area of life is covered here, without exception. Wives, submit to your husbands in everything as the head of the marriage, as part of your service to Jesus. It seems a radical thing, doesn't it? I mean, when we hear it put like that, our our culture's taught us to, to raise our hackles, to say, well, hang on a sec, submit can't be right. But when we think about it, we actually voluntarily submit ourselves to people all the time, don't we? Our life is actually full of submitting to people. Now, take your, your annual or less visits to the dentist. You, you submit to your dentist, don't you? You, you sit in his chair, as you in, or he or she, as, as instructed. You let your dentist poke around your mouth with all sorts of specially designed pain-inflicting implements. Uh, they tell you you need more needles. You say, oh, yes. They, 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 they say, we, we need to do more drilling. You say, well, you try to say yes. You, they say you need more fillings and you continue to agree. And then at the end of it, they have the goal to charge you hundreds, if not thousands of dollars for the privilege. And you submit. <laughs> you submit quite gladly, usually. You, you voluntarily subordinate yourself to the dentist. You, you give them your consent. You place their trust in them, believing unquestioningly that they're going to do good not just make their dollars out of you. And despite the pain and discomfort and general terror, uh, I don't like the dentist, in case you you haven't noticed, uh, a few months later or whenever your next appointment comes, you'll do it all over again. You keep submitting. Now, of course, it's not the same, is it? Uh, You go to see the dentist once in a blue moon or when in excruciating pain, but you live with your husband. He's always there. You don't submit to your dentist outside uh, of the dentist practice, but you are to submit to your, de- your husband always, in everything. So let's be clear about a few things. First of all, submission is not a matter of value, but of order. I think we need to be really clear on this. Submission is not about value, it's about order. Otherwise, how could Scripture ever speak of Jesus uh, submitting to God, let alone to his parents, if that was to uh, somehow devalue him? But that's not the case at all. Submission is about the order of things, not about their value. It is not and never saying that a wife is of less value than her husband. But neither is submitting only commanded when husbands deserve it. Because, I mean, I haven't polled the wives, but I would suspect that we don't deserve it very often, if ever. Paul doesn't put qualifications on it here. He doesn't say, submit when your husband is loving or submit when your husband is good. He simply says, submit. But, and let me be crystal clear on this, submission is never to abuse It is never to neglect and it is never to compulsion to sin. 
Submitting all things, but none of these. Physical, sexual, emotional, spiritual abuse is never to be submitted to. That is wrong and your husband cannot and ought not ever try to submit you to that. And if you are subjected to that, then come and talk with me or someone else that you trust. Do it discreetly because we need to have a talk about that. If your husband is pushing you to violate biblical commands or principles or enabling him to do so, if he is making you compromise your relationship with Jesus, if he is violating your conscience or compromising the health and safety of your kids or subjecting you or them to any form of abuse, then do not submit. That is not what the Bible is talking about here. Uh, This verse has been used to justify all sorts of awful behaviour and we say no, never. That is not what submission is. But what is it? Well, submission is using your gifts and abilities to their fullest. when, When Jesus calls the church to submit to him, he doesn't say, now sit in the corner quietly and do nothing. No, he says, use everything you've got. Use all the gifts I've given you to serve, to to bring me glory, to do my work. And so it is with wives. Submission is not about repression, it is about enabling to use everything you've got, your gifts and abilities to their fullest. And in that, in that submission, respecting your husband and respecting their headship. Uh, Paul kind of wraps up this passage there in verse 3 with our final words, and the wife must respect her husband. Submission is not undermining his leadership, it's not talking about him behind his back, Uh, it's not niggling him or wearing him down to get your way. Submission is respecting, it's supporting, it's enabling him to do his job. It's offering suggestions, it's being there to encourage, to be a helper, to bless your family. We're never going to claim submission's easy. Uh, God's perfect intent for marriage, which included uh, the wife submitting to her head, was broken in the fall. And as a result, sin has twisted it. And it's made submitting really hard work. It's, It's a wrestle against our sinful nature. It's not easy, it's not straightforward, but it is good. See, God never gives commands to to hold us back. He never gives commands to to keep good things from us. His commands are perfect. His desires for us are glorious and wonderful. And they include wives submitting to their husbands. Is it countercultural? Well, (laughs) yes, clearly. Is it bad? Well, no. Submission is part of God's perfect plan. So wives, serve Jesus and submit to your husband. Now at the same time, uh, roughly the same time as Paul wrote this letter, uh, another writer was writing another letter, a non-Christian by the name of Plutarch, uh, and he wrote this in his instructions to households. He said, and control ought to be exercised by a man over the woman, not as the owner has control of a piece of property, but as the soul controls the body, by entering into her feelings and being knit to her through goodwill. Uh, 
the, the language of control is a bit distasteful, but actually for his day he was very moderate. He, he's saying, come alongside your wife, understand uh, what she's feeling, what she's going through, and therefore be head over her. So it's not actually as extreme as we might expect. But that said, Paul goes so much further. Come with me to verses 25 through 27. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish but holy and blameless. Wives submit as the church does to Jesus. Husbands, love your wives as Jesus loves the church. I mean, I think it's striking. You know, Paul doesn't say, husbands, here, uh, exercise your headship in your marriage. (laughs) I mean, he's implying that. But he's saying the way you do that, the chief way you do that, is love. Love like Jesus loves the church. How does Jesus love the church? Well, it's all there in the passage, isn't it? Jesus loved the church by giving himself up for the church, by dying as a sacrifice to save her. He loves them by washing the church, making them clean. It was his word who saved the church and perfects her. It is his goal to make the church even more beautiful so that at her wedding she will be presented absolutely perfect without a stain, without a blemish, without a wrinkle, the most glorious bride in history. That is what Jesus' love is. That is what it is working towards. Husbands, love your wives. I suspect you're probably a bit sick of the royal wedding now. It's past, but we still keep hearing about it. Now it's up in the sermon again. That's just atrocious. I apologise. But it's been rehashed all week, hasn't it? Uh, Every detail has been examined very closely. But what's really surprised me is that one of the most talked about things from that wedding was the sermon. It's great. Uh, everyone's talking about it. Reporters, atheists, the, the gay community were, were talking about it. Christians were talking about it. Uh, not just because it was long. I mean, 16 minutes, that's not long, let's be honest. You are never getting 16 minutes. Uh, but they're talking about its content. They're talking about what the preacher said. Uh, Reverend Curry from the Episcopal Church in America, I believe, he, he preached a sermon about love. I mean, it's a wedding, okay? But he spoke about Jesus' love. He said that Jesus' love is the example, it gives us the example by which we go and redeem the world, change the world. It was all about Jesus' love, but not Jesus' saving love. It was about his love as an example. And that sounds good until you start to think about it. Because who can live up to that example? Who, who would, I mean, who would dare claim they could even get close? It's impossible. Can you simply see Jesus' love and then do it? (laughs) Of course not. We're not Jesus, are we? We we can't do that in the world and husbands, we can't do that in our marriages even. It's not enough for us to see love and then try to do it. It will drive us to despair. We will forever fall short because we are not Jesus. But that's not Paul's point here, is it? Paul's point here is look at Jesus' love, show Jesus' love because you've experienced that love, because you know it, because you're intimately acquainted with it. You are loved by him. 
I mean, remember here, he's talking to the church, he's talking to Christian husbands who have already known Christ's love, who have felt it, been saved by it. They have that love we saw in Ephesians 3, that that wider, longer, higher, deeper love, that sacrificial, saving, serving love, the love that perfects and provides and makes holy. See, we don't have to drive ourselves to follow an example. We don't have to guess how to follow that example. We simply have to love as we have been loved. Jesus' love is not the unreachable example that we could never attain to. It is the love that fills us, that drives us, that enables us. The only way you can ever love like Jesus is know Jesus' love and be filled by it. Then and only then will you be freed to love like him, sacrificially and selflessly. You'll be freed to love with a love that cares, like his love cares. Look at verses 28 to 30. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. So how does Jesus love the church? Well, he feeds it, he cares for it. Uh, literally the words are nourishing, cherishing, you know, uh, that, that rich, wonderful parenting and guiding of the church. See, love is not just ruggedly sacrificial, it is intimate, it's tender. Just as Jesus nourishes, cherishes his body, the church, his, his one flesh, this profound mystery that Paul's talking about, so too we husbands are to cherish and nourish our wives for they are our flesh, our body. We are united with them. We we, we don't neglect ourselves, neither ought we neglect our wives. Now that means being the sort of uh, husband who enables his wife to live out her life to the fullest, to to grow into all of her potential. Uh, A while back, pre-kids, we were on a holiday, Uh, we decided to take a scenic flight, the first time we've ever done anything like that. Uh, it was just us and the pilot in a very, very small plane. Uh, we, we flew over the, the north of the South Island in New Zealand. Beautiful, amazing place. Now, I uh, drew the back seat and whilst I sat there getting gradually queasy, small planes are not my thing apparently, uh, Melinda and the pilot sat at the front and at one point uh, he invited her to take the controls. I think it was at that point I grew more queasy. I, no, I know it was then. It was then. Now, she's never flown a plane. Uh, if you point her at a plane tomorrow, she won't know what to do with it. But she had an experienced pilot sat, sitting next to her. And so she took the controls, much to my horror. Uh, she took them gladly and off we went on an impromptu and undesired roller coaster ride. <laughs> Memorable. <laughs> Husbands, that's what we are to be for our wives an enabler, someone who gives her confidence to do things she would never have done before. That's that's how we ought to be for our wives, building them up, nourishing, cherishing them in such a way that they have confidence to live well, to live lives using everything that they've got. We are to enable, to free, to, to encourage and give confidence and support our wives so that they can use all the gifts God's given them 
to their fullest measure. See, our headship, our way of loving like Christ is is not about boundary setting. Uh, It's not about controlling or limiting. Our headship is about leading, guiding, freeing, giving confidence, all in love. The sort of headship that submitting to is a delight. So husbands, ask yourself, is your wife better, more confident, more able as a result of being married to you? Think back to when you were going out, dating, whatever you called it in your day. Is she more vibrant than then? Freer? Flourishing? Is she more like Jesus than she was then? If not, you need to seriously ask yourself if your headship is Christ-like. If you are loving her as you ought to be. Brian Chappell is a uh, professor and a pastor in the States. He wrote this. My role is to build up my wife, to enable her to sense more fully and deeply her infinite worth to me and to her saviour. Husbands, that's our role. That our wives would know deeply and wonderfully our love and more importantly, Jesus' love for her. And in that love to be freed to live as he intended. Now that sort of love means sacrificing for our wives. It means serving them. See, we are head of our home. Jesus has given us that role. But that's not a licence to make our home revolve around us. It's not how this works. Your headship is not there to enable you to live the life you've always wanted to live. Your headship is there to love and lead your family in Jesus more and more. Now that means if you work, coming home from work, that's a good start, at a reasonable hour, it means when you come home, being available, being proactive. It means looking after the kids if you have kids. It means doing the cleaning, uh, helping out with all the jobs that need to be done. Unprompted would be a bonus. It means turning off the TV, uh, putting down the book maybe, talking to your wife, asking her how her day was. Uh, It means taking the initiative and organising date nights so that you get to spend quality time with each other. It means not escaping to your shed or wherever it is that you escape to. It means being present and being around. (laughs) I think we're not actually, we don't really have trouble with the idea of sacrifice, do we, blokes? Uh, That's not a bad idea, you know, the idea of taking a bullet or jumping into moving traffic. Yeah, like glorious, heroic, brave. But that's not actually the sacrifice we're called to here. The sacrifice we're called to is every day. It's, it's, it's the grind. It's every day denying yourself and loving your wife. We can only do this if we know Jesus' love. And we can only do it better if we know his love better. We need to grow in it. We need to uh, know it well so that we are able to show it better. 
to be the loving head of our homes as part of our service to Jesus as a delight to our wives. Being the head is not manipulating, it's never abusing, it's not taking the back seat, being passive, uh, abdicating our role. It is taking the initiative. It's being proactive when it comes to conflict, resolving it. It is welcoming our wives' input, looking for their suggestions. It is not your job to tell your wife how to do her job. Being the head is not commanding your wife to submit. Being the head is doing your job well, loving and leading and living like Jesus. Now I'm aware that many of you here are not currently married uh, and so this might all feel a bit irrelevant, uh, like it doesn't really apply to you, you may have wasted the last half hour or so. Please don't think so. See, whether marriage is in your future or not, it matters that you know what it ought to look like. It matters for the sake of our church so that, that you're able to help those who are married, whether it's teaching or supporting or, or meeting with, blessing them in whatever way. That's to your benefit because it's to the benefit of all of us and it's to their benefit as well. So whatever the situation we're in, God calls each of us to contentment with it. Marriage is a gift of his, but the Bible tells us so too is singleness. And God gives each of those gifts in his time, according to his plan and to his purpose. Marriage is not the ultimate. Uh, we, we, we kind of do it sometimes, but it's, it's not to be idolised. Because it doesn't matter who we are, our satisfaction, our filling comes from Jesus and never from marriage alone. All of us are called to cling to what we have in him, to his perfect love and to his perfect headship. And we ought all to know this. All Christians will experience at least one marriage in their lifetime. If not in this life, then certainly in the next. See, we have a place at the greatest wedding of all, we have a seat at the table at the wedding of Jesus to his bride, the church, his perfect, spotless, holy and blameless wife. And we will enjoy that place for all eternity in perfection. Marriage is God's gift. It is a picture of that great mystery, the union of Christ and his church. And so let's live it as he's given it to us with him at the centre. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would bless the marriages amongst us. Father, may each of them be places where Jesus is known, where he is experienced, where he is witnessed to. Father, help our wives to submit gladly and well as part of their service to you. And help our husbands to love deeply like Christ has loved them, to love sacrificially and selflessly. Father, may our marriages be strong. May they be places where kids are raised up in the knowledge of you. May they be places where your people flourish and are able to use their gifts that you've given them. May they be places where you are glorified and your name is witnessed to. 
May each of them be places where Jesus is at the centre so that he receives the praise in all things. In his name we pray. Amen.